I think that was wonderful. Let's all just go home now, okay? <laughs> well, I've been asked to preach for education. My name is Barbara Weimer. I've been asked to teach for education Sabbath. Uh, I'm on the school board, but um, my background is in education. I taught high school history at Queen of Peace High School, a Catholic school, and Evergreen Park High School, which was a public school. But today, I want to talk to you as a parent, not a teacher. Our kids are grown now, and we are empty nesters, Bill and I. But there are some things that I learned along the way, and I hope that uh, they will be helpful to you parents out there whose children are young. Well, um, this is, whoops, went too far. This is a, a classic verse on training our children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Wonderful verse. Um, I've held on to it to my heart all these years. Well, whether or not we are aware of it, we are laying a foundation in the lives of our children, brick upon brick and row upon row. The foundation will have an eternal impact on our children's life. Our kids will never forget the foundation. You may think they will, but they will not forget the foundation. It becomes part of them. And as parents, we have an opportunity, a duty to lay a foundation of godliness. It is far and above the greatest responsibility um, to our children, and the results will be seen in eternity. Um, and as an example of laying a foundation of godliness, I'd like just to consider this man. And I've said my background is history, so I hope you let me indulge myself um, a little bit and, and try not to fall asleep as we talk about some history stuff, but it's pertinent to this. Anyone recognize who this is? Anybody? Uh, it's William Wilberforce. Uh, he was born in England in 1759 to wealthy parents. And at this time in history, the upper classes were very secular, and they looked with repugnance and disrespect on those who were serious about their Christian faith. It was acceptable to go to church and be seen at church, but that was enough. Those who tried to live their lives in accordance with the Bible were considered extremists and odd. To be known as a Methodist, a Baptist, or a Calvinist meant that you took your beliefs too far. You were someone to be avoided and despised. When Wilberforce was about nine years old, there was a deadly infection running through the Wilberforce's household and estate. His father died, and to protect young Wilberforce, he was sent to live with his aunt and uncle in a, uh, quite a ways away. His mother did not know that this aunt and uncle, which was on the father's side, were very religious. Wilberforce lived with his aunt and uncle, and they taught him about the sacrifice of Jesus, the grace of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and many other things. They taught him as if he were their own son. Well, Wilberforce became a sincere little Christian, very sincere, he loved the Lord. Uh, he grew to really love his, um, his aunt and uncle. And it was while he was there that he met John Newton. We know who John Newton is, right? The guy that wrote Amazing Grace. So Newton became like a father figure to him. 
and um, his aunt and uncle also became very, very dear to him. Well, his mom didn't know anything about this religious instruction, about the prayer meetings, about all this that was going on, and so Wilberforce actually stayed there for years. He just loved his, his aunt and uncle. She, the mom finally figured out what was going on, and she dragged him back home when he was about 12 years old. He was just devastated. Well, um, young Wilberforce struggled against the worldliness of his surroundings, and his mother did her best to bring him to every age-appropriate party, picnic, every social event of the upper classes. And after years of this, and after years of struggle on Wilberforce's um, part, he eventually succumbed. Well, as he got older, he gambled, he played cards, he enjoyed late-night drinking sessions with his friends. He joined exclusive social clubs. He became a very, very popular young man that everyone wanted to have at their parties. Uh, he was Mr. Personality. His charm was legendary. His conversation was delightful. His oratory, impressive. He was actually a fantastic speaker. And a socialite, Madame de Stael, described him as the wittiest man in England. That's something to say for someone. Uh, he also had a beautiful singing voice, and back then people were not inhibited about singing in public and in front of others. Well, the, according to the Duchess of Devonshire, the Prince of Wales said that he would go anywhere to hear Wilberforce sing. At many gatherings he was asked to perform, and uh, it is very likely, and I'm going to give you a little trivia here, it is very likely that he sometimes sang a song a certain drinking song that you would recognize. You would recognize the tune, but not the words. Uh, in 1812, Francis Scott Key borrowed the music of the drinking song and added different words about rockets and red glare, and it became the Star Spangled Banner. So that's just a little background, but I want you to understand, Wilberforce was, um, he was at the top socially. Well, life for him became one incessant party. He forgot about his dear friend and mentor, John Newton. He forgot about his aunt and uncle, and most significantly, he forgot about God. Well, um, uh, subsequently, what happened to Wilberforce was extraordinary. There is so much to this guy's life, and I'm just going to just, just, just touch on it, and there's a whole aspect of his life I'm not even going to talk about, which is also, wow, if you ever read a biography on him, you should, if you have an opportunity. But in 1752, when he was 25 years old, he was sightseeing across Europe in a carriage, and he had as a traveling companion a childhood friend, and he didn't know it, but this childhood friend had grown up to become a Methodist, <gasps> a Methodist. So his name was Isaac Milner. Uh, Isaac Milner was brilliant, but he was also a closet Christian. And across the hundreds and hundreds of miles and the hours and hours, they talked about God and the Bible. Milner made a very compelling argument for Christianity, and he changed Wilberforce's heart in that carriage ride. And Wilberforce remembered what he had learned as a child. The foundation of godliness was still there. The Holy Spirit convicted him, and Wilberforce came away a changed man. He had given his heart back to Christ. 
Um, if this was the only thing that happened, it'd be a nice story, but uh, Wilberforce really is uh, a, an, a, an important historical figure. Um, he was serving in Parliament at the time, and to give you some context, if you care, this was the Regency period. Anybody know who was king then? Um, well, George III. Okay, you recognize him. He was king. And Wilberforce thought, I should resign Parliament to pursue a career in something of a more spiritual nature because you think politics are dirty now. It was really bad back then. But he talked, he got back together with John Newton again. He talked with him, he prayed with him, and he advised him to serve God as a member of Parliament. And after much prayer, Wilberforce decided to stay in Parliament to work to abolish the slave trade. The British initially became involved in the slave trade in the 16th century, and by the 18th century, it was a, a huge deal. The triangular route, you probably heard about this in history class, I don't expect you to remember it, took British man-made goods from Africa to buy slaves, transported the slaves to the West Indies, and then brought slave-grown products such as sugar, tobacco, tobacco, and cotton to Britain. This represented about 80 percent of Great Britain's foreign income. And Wilberforce made it his life work to abolish the slave trade in England. Today, that would be like you or I announcing that we were going to ban oil or shut down the expressways. It's, uh, just, it was an amazing battle. In his fight against slavery, Wilberforce risked everything. Virtually the whole nation was against him, and in a sense, the whole world was against him. Few people at the time understood the horrors of slavery, and some even thought that it benefited the enslaved. Uh, he had to change the mind of a nation and then change the mind of parliament. And many members of parliament owed their fortunes to the slave trade. 300 MPs... Um, were in the pocket of the slave trade. It was truly a David and Goliath situation, and Wilberforce and his handful of associates were David. Well, like David, Wilberforce relied on the power of God. At every opportunity, he brought before Parliament his anti-slavery bills. And, and after, after the years of doing this, the, the members of Parliament would just roll their eyes and turn away because they had heard this over and over for years and years. He spoke tirelessly across England. He spent his fortune. His fortune was huge, and, and he also wore down his health. He was subject to ridicule, mockery, and insult. Still, he persisted for 20 years. Finally, in 1807, Parliament voted to outlaw the slave trade. And that was just the trade part. And then in 1833, they abolished slavery in all the British territories, and by this time, Wilberforce was on his sickbed, and he heard that news, and two days later, he died. So, but his life work had been accomplished by the power of God, and on a personal note, his mom became a converted Christian. Just amazing story. Well, what does this have to do with education Sabbath? Wilberforce received a foundation of godliness. Um, in this case, it was not from his parents, or from his school, but from his aunt and uncle. With that foundation in adulthood, he became a man of God who devoted himself to sacrificially working for God. And what he accomplished takes our breath away. Well, according to a Barna study, people who become Christian before their teen years 
are more likely than those who are converted when older to remain absolutely committed to Christianity. For myself, I was raised uh, a Catholic, and our parents taught us to love the Lord. And I can say for sure that um, I had a foundation of godliness. It wasn't the same as what I understand now, but it definitely was a foundation, and it has stuck with me, and it's stuck, it is stuck in, stuck with all, <laughs> I made up a word, and it's stuck with all of my, uh, my family. Well, we don't need Barna to confirm what Scripture says, but let's look at this again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If we put that foundation there, that will stay with them. Well, every child is influenced by his parents and his school, and we want that influence to be a good one. And there are many, I'm gonna talk a little bit about public schools. There are many positives that are offered by public schools. Great teachers, after school programs, uh, foreign languages, money for lab equipment and sports. But on the flip side, there can be some significant negatives. Let's take a closer look at what is going on in public schools right here in Illinois. Senate Bill SB 3249, which pertains to public schools in Illinois, is currently moving through the Illinois Senate. If passed, this bill will require that the public schools of Illinois, uh, that in the public schools of Illinois, any book that will be used as a text in grades K through 12 include the role and contributions of homosexuals and of men and women who adopt transgenderism. In other words, all materials used in school, schools will be required to address the roles and contributions of people who define themselves by their sexual desires and sexual behaviors. In addition, this bill will require that the teaching of history of the United States in public schools shall include a study of the role and contributions of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the history of this country and in Illinois. The bill also states that whenever possible, adults, including openly LGBT adults in the community should be involved in the development and delivery of this instruction, that means teaching, at the discretion of, not the parents, but at the discretion of the LGBT individual. Now, think about it. We don't know what George Washington or William Wilberforce or Madame Curie did in their bedrooms because we don't care. There are no good reasons, really, for teachers or textbooks to mention or discuss the sexual interests of historical figures who have contributed something noteworthy to society. Their exceptional accomplishments should be noted, but their choices have no place in the public school. Now, this is from an article by Lori Higgins writing about the push for homosexuality in the schools. It may be the drip, drip, drip that gets your kids, a scene in a movie, a passage in a novel, a sympathetic portrayal of homosexuality in a play, a song by a well-known musician, a bullying prevention presentation at school, a visually arresting advertisement depicting homosexuality or opposite sex impersonation positively week after week 
month after month, year after year. Higgins goes on to report that in a Wheaton Middle School, this is, you know where Wheaton is, right? It's 20 minutes from here, uh, it is west. And the walls of the school are decorated with kids' drawings. Like, you know, you, we have kids' drawings downstairs um, on the walls. And one is a poster of an androgynous person. That means a person you can't, uh, half of the face looks like a man, the other half looks like a woman. Um, and uh, the caption says, trans people are beautiful. Another drawing shows two boys cheek to cheek with a heart above their heads. And the caption, be who you are, not who they tell you to be. What does that even mean? Another depicts a girl in boys' clothing and a boy in girls' clothing holding hands with the caption, love is love. Imagine the time that was devoted to this subject. The teacher didn't just say, here's some paper, do this. Um, and any teacher knows that it takes time when you do a project like this. Um, much time had to be devoted to the, not only the drawing and the painting, but discussion about each poster, the presentation of each poster, possibly some internet research. Um, and the, this is teaching, this is time devoted to teaching what is not godly. And the image just keeps coming to my mind of um, idol worshiping in the Old Testament. And I think of King Ahab and Jezebel leading the people to sin with their idols and just darkness. It's, that's, that's the image that I get is darkness. Well, Wheaton Middle School, the one we're talking about, is not a school in California. This is a school 20 minutes from here. And this is just a snapshot of what is going on all over the country. Now, will this bill pass in the Illinois Senate? Maybe, maybe not, maybe not today. Now, let's look at what is going on in another middle school, but this one is in Downers Grove. This is, these are um, students from the Downers Grove uh, Seventh-day Adventist School. And this is what, one of the, the verses they are memorizing. Can we read this together? But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Isaiah 43, verse 1. And then there's another one. I'll read this one. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Psalm 105, verse 8. That's, put that one back up there. Now, what is the point? Uh, the point is not that all public schools are bad because they're not. The point is not that we should never send our children to a public school. The point is we need to pray about what is best for our children. And the point is we need to be intentional about laying a foundation of godliness. It doesn't just happen. It's, it's very hard work. As you, you parents here, that all of you parents, I'm sure, are doing what you know to be best for your kids. And you're struggling and you're sacrificing. And God knows that. And that's what he is calling us to do, to, to put this foundation first. The point is we need to pray for our children and not look at the difficulties, but to do what is best and leave the results to God. And I'm, not also, I'm also not saying that everyone should send their children to the Downers Grove Seventh-day Adventist School. How could I say that? I don't have the mind of God. I don't know what's going on in your home. I don't know what your situation is. And 
it may not be what's best for your child, I don't know. I am no one's judge, but the Downers Grove School is really a good school and it has really good teachers. And you can tell these kids that were up here what they're teaching them. And they have been teaching the children to pray to God and to love the Lord. Can I have an amen for that? Amen. Well, I would encourage you, and, and as a church, to pray and place the entire matter before God. Be willing to turn in the direction that he sends you. And by whatever means he shows you to train up your child in the way that he should go. Thank you.